0: fellow Americans. I'd like to talk to you today about our environment. I think it's time to clear the air and straighten the record on where my administration stands on environmental and natural resources management matters. I know you've heard and read a million words about where others think we stand. Now, how about five minutes of the truth? I'm Chris Stemp, and this week's descriptor was sent in from a friend of mine. He said... I'm the one with a crippling gambling addiction and dreams of one day returning to my college dorm room.
1: Uh, I'm Donnie Stemp. I'm a gambling aficionado. It's the week of October 3rd, 2022. The atmospheric carbon level is 415.67.
0: Welcome to the week on Earth.
1: You might have to defend your yourself there, a gambling addiction and uh, a <laughs> dreaming of staying in college.
0: It's hyperbolic, okay? To be entertaining, you take your baseline and then you multiply it by some exponent. So do you gamble? All of a sudden, you have a gambling addiction. Do you reflect on the good old days? All of a sudden you want to be back in college. That's
1: all It is based in the truth. Yeah, that is true. And we do enjoy gambling. That's one thing that unites. You know, we try to make them, we try, right? We try to differentiate ourselves, (laughs) but we both like gambling. I'd say we're equally good gamblers.
0: Yeah. I mean, I got to be honest, I think I'm decent at it. If I looked at my lifetime earnings, I wonder if they'd be in the positive. We're responsible
1: gamblers. Mm. I'll say that.
0: Also true. Also true.
1: How to segue. Let's not gamble with our planet.
0: Wow, look at you. So you took this one head on, the ozone layer. You really went back. Speaking of reverting back, you went back to one of our childhood fears, which was we were all gonna die because of some hole in the world that none of us really understood at that point, but we knew was dangerous.
1: Yeah, that's true. The point, the point of this show is that we confronted this problem of the ozone layer and we actually solved it the world came together and solved it in a really powerful way. The ozone layer is not yet fixed, but a recent um, article came out that it is well on its way to being fully healed sometime between 2050 and 2070.
0: I got to tell you, before we get started, listening back to this episode after you and our producer put it together, it's different from our other ones in my mind. It felt A little more educational, an audio movie to an extent. And I realized I will forever now know the majority of the ozone layer story just based on 25 minutes or so of audio. And I think that's a real tangible, useful outcome to listening to this podcast. So the point is if you're enjoying this, if you're learning, go tell somebody else who you think needs to learn. Let's grow this thing. Let's keep doing it. Tell them to follow the week on earth. We're making moves. We're doing big things. We appreciate you.
1: Oh yeah. I Well, I also wanted to mention, we got a, a nice review on Apple podcasts and I thought it tied in nicely with this episode. And oh. uh, this person wrote, as someone who struggles with major overwhelm and depression when it comes to climate change, I found that these first several episodes have shed some light on important issues that I've been wondering about lately. They also offer inspiration and ideas for changes we can make in our daily lives, which I appreciate. Damn, I just got goosebumps, legit. That's the thing. A lot of people do have climate anxiety, serious climate anxiety. And that's one of our goals, I think, is to approach it in a way that is serious, but also is positive. And we continue to talk about how being proactive, taking action, just talking about it, thinking about it, can help lessen some of that anxiety.
0: What a good lead into today's podcast, which I think embodies all of that. As we talk about how the global community came together to solve what was potentially one of the most catastrophic challenges we've dealt with in the war against climate change.
1: That's right, we've done it once, we can do it again. This episode, how we fixed the ozone layer. More on that big idea in just a few minutes, but first, it's time for the news of the week on Earth. You were sipping your wine. You didn't even have time to join in. (laughs) I I didn't. Our top story this week, Hurricane Ian hit Florida, of course, still battering the East Coast. You even are having some rain right now, right, Chris?
0: Yeah. Ramifications right now.
1: So we're going to talk for a minute about how this hurricane is, of course, related to climate change. I saw some weatherman saying, you know, it's too soon to talk about that. We're still in the process of dealing with it. That is all true, but we can do two things at once. And as we're dealing with stronger storms like this that are being intensified by climate change, we need to talk about them. So I'm
0: sorry, wait, is it really too soon? Like, of course, I sympathize, empathize, feel terrible for everybody impacted, but It's a pretty clear connection. This was one of the strongest storms ever to make landfall. We know why this is happening. Why is it too soon?
1: It's, that's, you know, just a delay tactic. Thank you. Right. So from CBS News, as Hurricane Ian neared Florida, it experienced what is called rapid intensification, getting very strong, very fast. And scientists say this process is becoming more frequent because of climate change.
0: Early Tuesday morning, Hurricane Ian intensified into a major Category 3 storm with winds of 125 miles an hour before hitting Cuba. The hurricane continued to strengthen as it passed over the warm waters of the Gulf of Mexico on the way to Florida's west coast, reaching Category 4 Wednesday morning. Its wind speed was just a few miles per hour shy of a Category 5 when it made landfall Wednesday
1: afternoon. Warmer Sea Surface Temperatures Due to Climate Change Strengthen Hurricanes. A new study also estimates that climate change added at least 10% more rain to Hurricane Ian.
0: An editorial in Saturday's Miami Herald has this headline, No, it's not too soon. After Hurricane Ian, Governor DeSantis, it's time to say climate change. The author writes, Some will say that talking about climate change while places like Sanibel Island and Fort Myers are still addressing Hurricane Ian's damage politicizes a disaster. We heard this after Irma and so many other hurricanes only to see the can kick down the road.
1: Right, so like I said, a delay tactic, we hear it in the gun debate all the time, but there's no time like the present when people are thinking about it. Time for a couple more quick stories. Sunday, October 2nd, was the presidential election in Brazil. As we wait for the results, an article from The Guardian says the fate of the Amazon rests on the results of the election. Experts say a continuation of the rampant destruction under President Bolsonaro Bolsonaro, could push the world's biggest rainforest past an irreversible climate tipping point. But a victory by Lula da Silva? who oversaw significant forest preservation when he was last in power, could lead to a 90% reduction in the raising of the forests. Elections have consequences. Stay tuned for that one.
0: Can I go vote in Brazil? You could try. I'm going to. Finally tonight, if you're heading to Maui, a new law went into effect Saturday that bans non-mineral sunscreens across Maui, Lanai, and Molokai. Only mineral sunscreens will be allowed as other chemical sunscreens wash off our bodies and into the ocean and are a significant contributor to the bleaching and destruction of coral reefs as well as harming algae and marine life. So if you're heading to paradise or really any ocean, make sure to buy only reef-safe mineral sunscreens. Listen, this drives me crazy. When I see people just inhaling (laughs) Hmm. absurd amounts of like copper tone oxybenzene and hexobenzene dude I can't I can't get started here well, I get All right. All let's move we, on we
1: got a suggestion to do an episode on this I think we will it's a it's a good story
0: done what's the idea hey what's the big idea anyway what's the idea
2: what's the idea what's the idea what's the big idea the water, what's the big idea
1: all right Let's get into the big idea. How did we save the ozone layer? I actually want to call it, and maybe we will, Ronald Reagan saved the environment. Or how did Ronald, Ronald Reagan save the ozone layer?
0: I want to call it fixing a big
1: hole. Get it? It's like big soul. Oh.
0: big hole, fixing it. Like uh, it's just
1: good. I would have to just bleep <laughs> all that out. <laughs> We've been keeping this show clean, which I appreciate.
0: I appreciate that you do it. When I listen, I'm like, oh, he took, it's It's always me, by the way. <laughs>
1: yeah. All right, well, let's, so let's just get right into it. I got the story ready to go. Are you ready?
0: Are you ready, Weaver?
1: I sure am, Cooney.
3: I grew up in the 80s, and I kind of have a vague memory of the ozone hole being an issue, and on the side of spray cans, it had the little No CFC logo on it.
1: That is Jamie Lockhead, the director of the PBS film, The Hole, How We Saved the Planet.
3: But I didn't really realize what a big deal it was, until still I started looking into it.
1: So let's pull back the curtain, dim the lights, and listen to the story of an invisible hole, in an invisible blanket, surrounding a delicate planet, so small in the vastness of the universe that it's almost invisible. The story starts in roaring 1920s America, an optimistic post-war time when new technologies were defining a new era of consumerism and convenience. New technologies like the Frigidaire Refrigerator. At the time, air conditioners and refrigerators used dangerous compounds that were toxic, flammable, and explosive. Frigidaire sought to create a non-toxic, non-flammable alternative, one that wouldn't kill you or blow up.
3: When you go back to the start of all of that, you meet this kind of interesting guy called Thomas Midgley Jr.,
1: Ah, Thomas Midgley Jr., partially responsible for two of the world's deadliest disasters in modern human history. To create a better refrigerant, Midgley and a partner stepped in and synthesized the world's first chlorofluorocarbon, or CFC. Midgley believed CFCs were safe because of the stability of the carbon-fluorine bond.
3: There's a kind of story of him sort of demonstrating this in I think it's 1930 at a, an American Chemical Society meeting. He to sort of show off these gases, he, he inhales them, breathes them in, and exhales over a candle, puts out the candle, and just kind of shows that they're completely non-toxic, completely non-flammable, unbelievably safe man-made chemicals.
1: And so the modern refrigerant was born. CFCs soon proliferated in refrigerators and all kinds of products like aerosol cans.
3: You know, Thomas Mitchell Jr. is also credited with developing leaded petrol, which turns out to be an absolute disaster. And later in his life, he gets polio and he can't really get himself in and out of bed. So he builds, it, he invents this kind of system of pulleys and ropes and ends up strangling himself to death in the system. So it's kind of like he gets the tagline of the the most unfortunate inventor in in history.
1: So the creator of CFCs and leaded gasoline was strangled by his own invention. Unfortunate indeed. Environmental historian J.R. McNeil said that Midgley, quote, had more adverse impact on the atmosphere than any other single organism in Earth's history. And with that invention of CFCs, the ozone layer was now under attack. Though, of course, we wouldn't know it for decades to come.
3: The kind of character to go to next is probably Jim Lovelock, who's an amazing guy and most famous for coming up with the Gaia theory of um, planet as a big self-regulating system.
1: James Lovelock, the man, the legend, living in rural England in the 1960s, noticed some strange pollution way out there in the countryside.
3: And he kind of phoned the the weather people and they said, don't be silly, there's not pollution out where you live. So he had previously invented this super sensitive detector that was kind of miles ahead of its time. And uh, so he thought, I'm going to try and figure out whether this is man-made stuff in the air that I'm seeing. And so he just plucked out of the air the most man-made chemical he could think of, which was TFCs, They're completely synthesized, you know, artificial chemicals. I'll have a look for those. So he he finds them in the air, and weirdly, it wasn't the winds blowing from Europe, where all the kind of urban centres are that you'd expect. They also came on winds that were coming off the Atlantic, which was he thought really weird.
1: he then discovered, during a cruise in 1971, that almost all CFCs manufactured since their invention in 1930 were still present in the atmosphere. Along comes chemistry professor Frank Sherwood Rowland and his associate Mario Molina in 1974, who were developing the theory that CFCs were beginning to break down the ozone in the atmosphere. Molina was finding CFCs lingering for a long time, high up in the atmosphere.
3: And when you're right up there, there's so much radiation from the sun that pretty much anything reacts. So he figured that they were getting really high up into the sky and they were, you know, being broken apart by the the UV radiation from the sun. And when that would happen, you would get, you know, the CFC molecule would break down and you'd get chlorine as one part of the, the reaction. And that was dangerous because it could destroy the ozone molecules that were up there in our ozone layer and he knew very well that the the ozone layer was like a safety blanket i hadn't quite understood how important the ozone layer was you know it was literally life did not come out of the sea until we had that ozone layer protecting us and you know if if this layer was being destroyed by cfc chemicals then Humans were at risk from massive doses of, um, you know, unblocked UV radiation getting through to us and our plants and our crops and everything else. He reports all this back to Sherry, Sherry as he calls him, um, he reports it back to Sherry's boss. And Sherry's like, oh, my goodness, we better publish this. So they put out a paper in 1974 saying, we think we've spotted a problem and nobody does anything. Sherry realized that they needed to bring this to the attention of the public. So they started, he he made a, he took an unusual step at that point and started speaking out about it, sort of suggesting that the industry reduces these chemicals. And he was kind of... There was a a pushback from, from the chemical producers.
1: Ah, so that's where our story starts to mirror the climate change issue of today. Corporate interests using their money and power to divide and downplay the risks of true environmental disaster. But this problem cfc's destroying the ozone layer was basically solved how on earth did this rare success story happen there was a cultural shift in the 1960s and 70s the environmental movement had begun to blossom rachel carson's seminal work silent spring had been published and there was one medium that had the power to influence millions of people all at once. And that, of course, was the television.
3: You know, the most watched TV show in America at the time was All in the Family, watched by millions across the country. And there's one episode where one of the characters, Gloria, goes on this rant, you know, just kind of presents all the arguments about why there should be no spray cans with CFCs. Oh yeah, what about spray cans?
0: Yeah, 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 right here. This is a killer. Oh, so now my hairspray is a killer. Yeah, your hairspray, my deodorant, all spray cans. I read that there are gases inside these cans, Gloria, that shoot up into the air and can destroy the ozone. What's the ozone? Ozone is a protective shield that surrounds the earth that protects us against ultraviolet rays. You know what they can do? Yeah, they can give you a sunburn. Sure, when the ozone's there, but when it's all gone, you can get skin cancer, and God knows what it could do to the plants and crops.
3: And this was apparently so persuasive to the viewing public that the aerosol industry saw an immediate decline in sales. And one guy told me that basically that the market disappeared from that industry even before government regulations came in. And so you had this kind of public movement that was going faster than the people kind of dealing with the policymakers, which was really powerful. Public awareness, you know, that kind of 1970s kind of environmental awareness was key because I think it was a vo- I think the environment was a voting issue. And I think when you've got a kind of atmosphere like that, politicians are more likely to act.
1: Enter Ronald Reagan.
3: My
0: fellow Americans, I'd like to talk to you today about our environment.
1: Reagan, of course, was no environmentalist, but he had been the governor of California. He had dealt with pollution and smog issues there, and he was an avid outdoorsman, or at least played one on TV. So it was that public pressure, a few key players, and leadership, even bipartisanship, that began to shift the tide.
3: Like you say, I think you've got sort of genuine leadership in that. You know, people know that humans as a species tend to value the the present over the future. You know, people will take a $100 now rather than $120 in a year. So that's
1: where this leadership and pressure is required. Even in Reagan's administration, of course, selling this was no easy task.
3: The People in power under Reagan are very pro-industry. So nothing really happens for a little while until there's a kind of key moment where a guy called Lee Thomas uh, comes in and he heads up the, the EPA and he's briefed on the CFC problem in particular. And he is much more pragmatic about it. And I think, you know, Lee Thomas, when I interviewed him, when you know he was head of the EPA at the time, he was... Talking about the precautionary principle, about sometimes it's better to act now before it's too late. You know, apparently the argument that George Shultz used on, on Reagan was was to sell it as an insurance policy that you don't take out sort of insurance for your house because you think a fire is going to happen. You pay a little bit of money every year to protect yourself in case the fire does happen, and that's apparently how he's, and Reagan kind of bought into that. There's another key Republican. is George Shultz, the Secretary of State at the time. And he also takes a very pragmatic view that there could be a potentially catastrophic problem. There was folk arguing that there wasn't enough scientific evidence, again, very much like the the climate story at at one point. There was arguments on either side. But he manages to persuade Reagan to support, for the Americans to support a, a global ban on CSCs and Lee Thomas goes up to a meeting in Montreal to kind of discuss this. The last part of the story is the Montreal Protocol Agreement.
1: The Montreal Protocol. Former UN Secretary General Kofi Annan said it was, quote, perhaps the single most successful international agreement to date.
3: The Montreal Protocol, which was a global agreement to start the phase out of CSEs, and that was actually the, the American team persuading the European team to kind of sign up to this.
1: The Montreal Protocol was ratified by every single party at the UN, 196 states, and the European Union. It is the first universally ratified treaty in United Nations history. It was agreed to on September 16, 1987, and went into effect January 1, 1989. It was also remarkable for the speed of policymaking on a global scale, from 1973 when Sherry and Molina discovered the problem, to 1987, when the solution was agreed upon.
3: I think what's important about that is it sent a very clear message to industry that this is happening. You know, they worked closely with industry. There was a kind of dialogue with all the individual sectors, and they kind of broke things down in a bite-sized chunks and tackled them one after another. And It seems to me that industry can respond if it's given clear deadlines, clear regulations that things are going to change. The kind of clarity is useful.
1: Once again, leadership. And this was American leadership under a conservative government. Reagan and the Americans, they helped convince the conservative British government under Margaret Thatcher. And together, they were unstoppable. Ladies and gentlemen, Mrs. Margaret Thatcher.
2: Of all the challenges faced by the world community in those four years, one has grown clearer than any other in both urgency and importance. I defer to the threat to our global environment. I shall take the opportunity of addressing the General Assembly to speak on that subject alone. British scientist Fred Hoyle, wrote long before space travel was a reality. He said, Once a photograph of the Earth, taken from the outside, is available, a new idea, as powerful as any other in history, will be let loose. That powerful idea is the recognition of our shared inheritance on this planet. We know more clearly than ever before that we carry common burdens, face common problems, and must respond with common action. And second, as we travel through space, as we pass one dead planet after another, we look back on our Earth, a speck of life in an infinite void. It is life itself, incomparably precious, that distinguishes us from the other planets. It is life itself, human life, the innumerable species of our planet, that we wantonly destroy. It is life itself that we must battle to preserve.
1: So that happened. On this planet. That was the Conservatives' Conservative Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher advocating for the environment and the health of the planet. That was no alternate universe. That was us, conservative governments coming together to solve an environmental problem that threatened humanity. So the question becomes, can we do it again?
0: Yeah, really interesting story. So many things jumped out to me when I first listened back to all the hard work you did. One of the biggest is the amount of times we create our own demise and then have to pull ourselves out is astounding. Think about this. You use refrigerators as an example. So number one, we need a way to store food. The old way was deadly, which is hilarious because it's not that long ago. And then we assumed we can make a substance that has no ill effects, turns out to be one of the worst things ever made.
1: Well, this is going to be a two-part episode because it turns out what we solved the problem with was equally destructive. We banned CFCs we replace them with HFCs. Well, guess what? HFCs, although safe for the ozone, are terrible for the atmosphere as a greenhouse gas.
0: Well, thanks for killing my buzz.
1: Except- (laughs) One step forward. Except next episode will be about HFCs and then the push to ban HFCs, something called the Kigali Amendment, which I have amazing news just passed last week, No way. passed the Senate. Yes.
0: What are the chances?
1: It's rare and it's very shocking, but between the Inflation Reduction Act and now this passage of the Kigali Amendment, uh, one of the well-respected writers I follow on climate change, Robinson Meyer of The Atlantic, he said this one-two punch is the most this country has ever done on climate. And it all happened in the last couple months.
0: Just banning HFCs? Like, is that big of a deal? Tune in next week to find out. If you're enjoying the show, like I said, please like and follow wherever you listen. And more importantly, be sure to tell somebody else. Climate change affects us all. The more we know, the better we'll do. Tell them about The Week on Earth.
1: The Week on Earth is produced by Elise Louie with music by Amy Eileen Wood. Special thanks to this week's guest, Jamie Lockhead, the director of the wonderful PBS film, The Whole, How We Saved the Planet. And we'll give tonight's last word to Mr. Ronald Reagan.
2: We have made a commitment to protect the health of our citizens and to conserve our nation's natural beauty and resources. Thanks to these efforts, our country remains America the Beautiful. Indeed, it's growing more healthy and more beautiful each year. I hope this helps set the record
0: straight because it's one we can all be proud of. Till next week, thanks for listening
2: and God bless you.